I have spoken at great length about the FBI's flagrant abuse of Americans' constitutional rights and criminal behavior. On our last episode, I shared with you the L.A. Times article about how the U.S. attorney and FBI lied to a federal judge in order to rob several hundred safety deposit boxes of $86 million. The FBI also recently conducted an early morning raid of the home of a Christian pro-life leader in suburban Philadelphia, arresting him in front of his wife and seven small children. Our guest today was detained by the FBI at Logan International Airport in Boston back in 2018, but never charged with a crime. Here is hair-raising story on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show coming up. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 247 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Our guest today is Theodore Roosevelt Malik. He is an international expert on governance, strategy, and business. He's a former professor and senior fellow in management practice at the University of Oxford's Said Business School and Henley Business School. He also served as a research professor at Yale University. Dr. Malik is chairman and CEO of the Roosevelt Global Governance Group, a leading strategic management and thought leadership company. He was deputy executive secretary at the United Nations in Geneva and worked in senior policy positions at the U.S. State Department and U.S. Senate and worked in capital markets at Salomon Brothers on Wall Street. He has experience on a wide number of corporate, mutual fund, and not-for-profit boards, including universities, charitable trusts, and foundations. So needless to say, he would probably not be high on a list of people you might expect to be hassled by the FBI when coming off a plane at Boston's Logan Airport. And yet a recent article. He wrote over at American Greatness entitled, The FBI Exposed, One Man's Experience Demonstrates How the FBI Needs to Be Exposed for What It Has Become and How It Has Betrayed the Nation and Its Very Own Motto, says that's exactly what happened. Dr. Malik, welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. It's an honor to have you. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for uh, giving me this opportunity to have a conversation. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Could you please tell our audience how a gentleman like you, with your long and storied track record, somehow wound up being detained by the FBI at Logan International Airport in Boston back in 2018? Well, it's a a curious tale, and I lay it out at great length uh, in that article that you mentioned, but let me give you a a short or brief synopsis. Sure. Um, I had... um, uh, made a decision in 2015 to endorse a certain presidential candidate and actually in the Republican primaries. And then of course, later in the, in the actual general election. And I wrote about that at some length in Forbes magazine. Um, and I endorsed, um, uh, Donald Trump because I thought we needed another era of American nationalism. And I claimed in that article that he would provide that, much like Theodore Roosevelt had himself at the turn of the 20th century, that we need that kind of emphasis, enthusiasm, and push uh, for Americanism. And, uh, of course, I'd I'd known Donald Trump from Palm Beach. I played in his golf tournaments. 
uh, I'd never really done business with him per se, but uh, I knew his family and I, you know, sort of liked what he stood for. Uh, and I was uh, involved in the campaign. Obviously, I was overseas. I was teaching uh, MBA and PhD students, serving on corporate boards, doing a number of things, uh, not overtly political. Obviously, I've been involved in politics. I served in the Reagan administration. I've been an appointee uh, in the United Nations at ambassadorial level. I have, uh, you know, given money, not a lot, to different political Republican campaigns over the years. But I'm not a Republican operative. I'm not involved in uh, retail politics. I've never really been involved in in a campaign, except in this case, because I was overseas and obviously pro-Trump and could explain what he was about and philosophically, uh, um, you know, elaborate on that. I was in the press and on the... Uh, foreign television airways almost constantly during 2016, 17, 18. Uh, I think I counted up, I was on the BBC something like 278 times. Wow. So more or less, their go-to guy to talk about Trump, Trumpism, what this policy means, etc. Um, and I was also a commentary, gave a lot of commentary on Brexit, which of course Britain was going through uh, in the period just prior to the American election itself. Um, during the campaign, I came back to the United States a couple times. I met in Trump Towers. I was interviewed for a position. Uh, I was going to be nominated as the uh, U.S. ambassador to the European Union. We can go over that story, why that did not happen. That's uh, an interesting story in itself, another leg of the stool. But I think the FBI was surveilling everyone involved in the Trump doings campaign and um they were after him for russian collusion of course you know that was going on for more than four years uh i had a dinner in uh, new york city with a couple of people one of whom was roger stone who had not met prior to that uh we had conversations about the uh republican convention whether i should fly back over you know as an advisor to trump we decided that I could come, but later on decided not to. It was just too time-consuming. The FBI surveilling all that, seeing that I'm supposedly then very involved in Trump doings. Um, and I got an email at some point in time that is forwarded to me by a third party from Roger Stone. It's not a direct email saying, if you can get to Assange, get to him. In other words, the WikiLeak uh, kind of uh, scenario. I got that email, never did anything about it. Yeah. I actually laughed quite hard. I didn't respond to it. I'm not a political operative. I've never been to the Ecuadorian embassy. You know, so I was not involved in that kind of espionage, whatever you want to call it. I lived about uh, two and a half hours from London in Oxford. <laughs> so the whole thing was farcical. Anyway, on the basis of that one forwarded email and all my other Trump doings, the Mueller investigation decided that I needed to be detained, interrogated, put before their grand jury, which we can talk about at length. And that's why they confiscated with a warrant my telephonic devices and interviewed me for about an hour in Boston on that certain evening. Wow. So, and of course, talking about Julian Assange, the, the WikiLeaks guy, on on the basis of a third party forwarding you an email from Roger Stone saying try to get a hold of Assange, they said, "Hey, you'll you'll go this way with us." And your wife's like, "Hey, what's going on here?" Right? Yes, my wife was traveling with me. They obviously uh, separated us, took us to a separate uh, room, a very large hall, took my luggage, took everything out of my luggage you know, made me feel like, you know, some kind of criminal. And then said, oh, we're going to escort you to a, a third building, which was, uh, in fact, a skiff, uh, which is a secure uh, room uh, where they could, uh, you know, ask questions. And that whole process was interesting. Uh, I, I concluded later, now I'm trained in intelligence and in uh, foreign affairs. I've gone to the Foreign Service Institute. You know, I've had an ambassadorial job for the U.S. government. I've had top secret code word clearances. And these clowns are 
trying to press me. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was the whole in- you know, intent of this uh, Mueller witch hunt. And I have concluded after the fact, using a, a person's name and translating it into a verb, that they tried to papadopolize me. Yeah, George Papadopoulos. Yeah, yeah. Try to set you up. There you go. That's um, I I didn't fall for it. It didn't work. They were dealing with a, you know, a true adult, uh, and um, yeah. Well, they were they were using now methods. The affidavit is out, so you can see what they were after the litany of things they were using to get to Trump. All this cooked up garbage coming from Peter Strzok and the hurricane, the Crossfire Hurricane people. Yeah. And in fact, the guy who was my FBI interrogator was working for Peter Strzok. And they're using He's now been me- reprimanded, and Strzok should be jailed. Oh yeah. A lot of them should be there, they're, but they were using methods and procedures that you had basically, basically been, been trained on, um, you know, against somebody else. They might've been more effective, I guess. So you, you mentioned, and, and I saw in preparing for the interview that there was a lot of talk early on of you perhaps becoming, uh, Trump's ambassador to the European union. Since, since you brought that up, what, what happened with that? Uh, well, I was, extensively involved in the campaign, not not in a formal way, because I was living overseas, not as a paid uh, consultant. I didn't need that anyway, but as a surrogate, I guess, would be the term. So I was yeah. on TV and German TV and Turkish TV, you name it. I was on it. I was trying to explain Trump to the world. Right. You know, this was a, a very rational, democratically elected leader. He had different transatlantic ideas, he had different views perhaps on NATO, and that he had this very strong nationalistic orientation, explaining that to do. I mean, as a, almost like semi-academic, explaining it to the masses of people across Europe. Um, so I was invited back in January, just after the election, to talk to Trump and actually to go before a panel of five people. Not supposed to talk about this, but who cares? Uh, the five people interviewed me. They basically said, what job do you want in the Trump administration? I was the first interviewee for a foreign policy job. That's how high up I was on their list. Wow. And um, we, we talked for, you know, roughly an hour. This is the first thing they asked me, do you have any tweets against Trump? And, of course, I had just the opposite. Well, first of all, I don't tweet, but I was on the radio and on television so much explaining and, you know, basically um, favoring Trump that they, they all knew that. Right. Uh, and um, it, the interview went extremely well. Two of them, in fact, knew me personally. Uh, one of them was a very famous lawyer. Uh, and... Um, at the end of the interview, he said, I can't go back to my firm and my boss without telling you, you can have whatever job you want. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, I was offered the deputy UN ambassador to Nikki Haley. Okay. Now, you know, I had worked in the UN. I'd been a senior official, et cetera. I didn't really want to work for Nikki Haley, to be honest. Nothing against her, but I don't, I don't want to be like number two guy somewhere. So I said, I would really prefer, because... I know the Europeans so well. I speak their languages. I've studied there. I've been a uh, visiting professor in Germany two times. I've been, you know, in, in Scotland. I've been in the UK now two times. I'm at Oxford. The best thing would be to make me ambassador to the EU. They agreed. I went to the inauguration parties. Yeah, I don't know if you were there. Um, you know, when, when Trump was uh, elected and, uh, in, in January. And uh, th- there were a number of parties, a number of events. I saw Rudy Giuliani at a big party, who, of course, knew me anyway uh, quite well. And he said, in my ear, you've got it. You're ambassador to the EU. Wow. Now, of course, Rudy himself was, I would say, the conciliare to, to Trump. So he was with him all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been much better had Rudy been secretary of state or Rudy had been certainly attorney general. We would have been in a different state of affairs. But... Anyway, I was uh, given that job. It wasn't really uh, made public at that point, but it was leaked. And I was in Brussels, and I was everywhere, and the European Union, because I've written very critical pieces about the European Union, uh, was just aghast of my being nominated. You know, as if an American president could not tell the European Union who he wanted as his ambassador. They wanted some, you know, milquetoast person who would make the argument for the European back to the Americans. It's the other way. 
the Americans appoint an ambassador who make the American point uh, of, uh, you know, of representation to the Europeans. They got it backwards. We never sent a pro-communist to the Soviet Union, did we? So anyway, right, right, as exactly. a result, there was enormous uh, um, backlash in some European capitals, but most particularly in Brussels. The socialists and the communists in the European Union put together a, um, a letter, which was then backed up by some of the more left and center-left parties, and I was actually, now I'm very proud of this, Sadak, I was made persona non grata by the European Union, and they said that if my credentials were presented, they would do everything to oppose my being made the ambassador of the United States to the European Union. Wow. I have it framed on my desk, along with my degrees and honorary degrees and about 300 other awards. It's the best. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And I, and I notice here that... Uh, the Wikipedia has Gordon Sondland getting the job in June of 2018, but uh, but nobody they they don't list anybody from January 20th 2017 till till June 28th 2018. Yeah. That's that's empty, crazy. Empty post. Uh, yeah, empty post. So, I was supposed to be in that job, and you you know how he turned out. Now he was not a diplomat; <laughs> he was a hotelier, and then he turned on Trump in the end. You remember those hearings? So we could have avoided that as well. Amazing. Amazing. We're speaking with Dr. Ted Malik. His latest book, The Plot to Destroy Trump, How the Deep State Fabricated the Russian Dossier to Subvert the President, came out shortly after the FBI detained him back in 2018. Dr. Malik, what is your take on the FBI raid of the Mar-a-Lago? Well, it's completely illegal, illegitimate, and unnecessary. The president had certain documents he declassified in a safe place, in a home, which were intended for a future presidential library, full stop. Yeah. I mean, this is a witch hunt. They want to stop him from running for election again. I mean, I've written articles about his becoming the next Grover Cleveland. Yeah, most people have to go <laughs> sort of do a little history search to find out what that means. Well, yeah, President, I, I think President Cleveland I think the was president the... would be great, you know, in a second term to uh, basically uh, enact the things he didn't finish in his first term, or even better, to roll back these horrible things that this president, or illegitimate President Biden, has done. Yeah, yeah, for, for, for those of you who, who aren't really history buffs, Grover Cleveland was the only president to be uh, defeated running for re-election came back four years later and defeated the guy that defeated him four years earlier. So, so yeah, that is the one precedent when it comes to presidents. Um, yeah, Mike Davis, um, who was the um, chief counsel for uh, Senator Grassley um, when the, yeah. the Republicans were in charge of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, chief counsel for, for nominations, he's made it very clear that uh, the, the DOJ is intentionally misreading the Presidential Records Act, uh, that all presidents right. have taken um, all kinds of documents with them, classified, non-classified, whatever, and the, the saying, well, the federal government retains ownership. Well, yeah, the federal government also uh, gives each former president an office that technically is you know, government property. It's protected by the Secret Service. So, yeah, the federal government still got it. Uh, you know, theoretically, although the, the president in his, the former president in his office, you know, has, has all the stuff right there. And they didn't give Bill Clinton a problem with, uh, you know, having all those, those tapes of oral history of his presidency, including very classified info in his sock drawer for eight years. It's, it's ridiculous. No, I mean, it's it just, uh, you know, seven, eight years now of, complete harassment yeah. and legal shenanigans against a certain individual because they detest his political philosophy, they detest his uh, economic orientation, and they don't like the fact that he wants to uh, basically end or, or, or close down the administrative state. And that's what we're trying to do, deconstruct the administrative state. The fourth branch of government is not in our U.S. Constitution and it has outgrown itself. Right, no question the FBI about it. is obviously very much a part of that. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, out of control. Okay, so Joe Biden obviously has dementia. He's obviously not in charge. Who do you think is in charge? Well, the Obamaites in the White House are in charge. Uh, I mean, we know their names. I mean, 
three women who were in, in Obama's uh, administration and White House, uh, a couple other uh, cronies. Uh, and they're, they're, they're running the show. It's just like a puppet show, really, at this point. It's, it's, it used to be, I mean, I wrote about this, you know, some time ago, funny, you know, and, you know, you'd have these lapses or, you know, it was like going out to dinner with your old grandfather. So it's well beyond that. It's now a, a great tragedy. And I would say an international calamity because th- this person is, is in charge of, uh, of, of our government and its auspices, including its military. Yeah, and half time he doesn't have any idea what's what's going on. It's it's tragic watching him wander off a stage trying to figure out which direction he's supposed to go in. So with all the irregularities in the 2020 presidential election, do you think it will be possible to elect a Republican president in 2024? Uh, you know, I do get this question a lot. And, you know, I, I, I think we have to be wary. Uh, the cheating, the fraud, the rigging that went on last time, was unprecedented, but who's to say it wouldn't be attempted again? I, I think once they've done it and succeeded, yeah, we, we have to put up many, many more guards. Uh, we have to have paper trails. We have to have the legal defenses in place before, not after. Uh, and, and I guess the answer to that in large part is you have to win decisively. <laughs> well, really, you know, you have to take down the house. Uh, so some of these close elections uh, in certain states in particular, I mean, I'd be watching this Pennsylvania senatorial race like an eagle. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you, you know, you make, a, you make a point there about winning decisively. A lot of us look at what was happening on election night in which Donald Trump had comfortable leads in all the swing states, and something happens, yeah. and they stop counting. They stop counting, you know, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada's a possibility, but they, they stop counting all these states at the same time. Then there's some kind of drop at 3 a.m., and you wake up the next morning, and Trump's behind. I, I think a lot of us think that he was winning so decisively that he broke their algorithm and they had to retool some things. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. the real concern. I hear some of these swing states making noises about changing things and safeguarding things, but I, I don't know to what extent they have or will have uh, taken care to do that in time for the next presidential election. So uh, uh, a lot of us are really concerned yeah, no, about that. a lot to be wary of, and, you know, some of these same bad actors, a uh, certain lawyer named um, Mark Elias, were very active in setting up all these systems. Yeah. They had war-gamed this out long in advance, so that they had a plan. I mean, to criticize my Republican friends, we're not always good at, you know, strategizing and planning things. We have too much trust in the system, and we, we really need to be on guard. And, you know, I'm reminded of a book that um, uh, the great Andrew McCarthy wrote back in 08, Willful Blindness, about how it's just so too painful for our leaders to consider the possibility that 9-11 jihadists and people like that may have their own independent religious reasons for wanting to take us down. They just can't get there. And the irony is now, 14 years later, people like Andy McCarthy have this willful blindness and, and, and people in Republican leadership in the Congress, they just can't, can't conceive of the possibility that 2020 was actually stolen because the implications are just too painful. Well, I, I agree on him. And that is largely a result of his, uh, national review, uh, never Trumper orientation. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean, I would also remind you that the FBI could have stopped nine 11. They knew all about it. They had all the goods. They did very little. Uh, and then after the fact, they helped the Saudis that weren't implicated, uh, flee the country. So as not to be uh, detained. Uh, I, I mean, I am a, you know, a conservative Republican, and I've always thought that the FBI were the good guys. Yeah, you know, I've done a long search on the history of the FBI. You know, it wasn't it wasn't even founded until 1908. Didn't even become a formal agency until 1935. Only had ten employees in the beginning. They were involved, involved mostly in some big cases around counterfeiting, and then like everything else in government, it continued to grow and grow and grow. And then you know, today it has nearly forty thousand agents, and then they're. they're they're basically not living up to their motto. That's what my article is about. Oh, yeah. There is no fidelity. There is very little bravery, and there's certainly no integrity. So 
if that's the case, then we have to come up and we can talk about that with a way to get because we still need police actions. We just don't need those kinds of actors in that kind of agency. And of course, I had uh, you mentioned my book, not to advertise it anymore, but I had written the first book on the Russia conspiracy. Right. Yeah. And it, it broke all. Uh, I mean, it basically told the whole story. I know Steele talked about the dossier, said how much of a fake it was, called it Intelgate, named the names. The FBI did not want people to read that book. They detained me two weeks before that book was released. Wow. Wow. And again, again, the name of the book, we're speaking to Dr. Ted Mollick, uh, The Plot to Destroy Trump, How the Deep State Fabricated the Russian Dossier to Subvert uh, the President. You know, before we run out of time here, you're also quite the financial expert, obviously, from uh, going through your bio. Our economy was in really good shape under Trump until the, the, the China virus kicked in and 15 days to stop the spread, uh, really bad shape under Joe Biden. Uh, where do you see this going? Uh, well, no, we're in a very uh, bad economic state now, thanks to all these policies, the collective policies of the, of the Biden administration, and it's going to be a deep hole to get out of. I mean, uh, the, the, the re- recession is real. It's not transitory going to last a couple of years. It's going to be very painful. Even the Fed share says that now. Uh, the inflation is at a 40-year high. I mean, it, 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 it's hurting everyone. The cost of gas, the only reason it went down a few cents is because of the SPRO and releasing of, they're going to, you know, go off of that and the, the, the rate will go back up to, you know, to over $5. So we're, we're in a precarious situation economically, and so too are other countries around the world. So we're, we're in for a spate of very tough time of adjustment. And uh, you know, just to warn people, I have an article coming out next week. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we had practiced some thrift, both publicly and privately? Amen. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of us are concerned that even if Republicans take back the House and the Senate in this November 8th election, that if you've got Kevin McCarthy in charge of the Republican caucus in the House, and yeah. Speaker of the House, and if uh, Mitch McConnell goes back from being minority leader to majority leader, uh, they're not going to do what needs to be done to rein in this administration. They're not going to be at all receptive to what Republican-based voters want them to accomplish. Are you, are you concerned about that? Uh, it's one of my deepest concerns, and I have an article coming out in two days that lays all that out in American Greatness called The Plague of McConnellism. Wow. Uh, and it, it, I mean, it's not going to make me many friends on that side of the party, but unless we throw Mitch McConnell out of that leadership and put in someone like Rick Scott, I mean, as an example, we are we're going to just go back to the same old rhino you know, days. Uh, I'm, I'm a little more hope for McCarthy, not a lot more, but we need to keep his feet to the fire. And, you know, Jim Jordan and Briggs and other <clears throat> other guys will do that. Some of these new young gun Republicans that are coming in are quite good. But we need to, on day one, begin the process to impeach Joe Biden. Amen. Absolutely. And, and let me ask you, I know we're running out of time here, but let me ask you about that. I hear Republican politicians like even Tom Cotton, U.S. Senator from the state that I'm in, say, well, you know, the problem with that is you impeach Joe Biden, you look look at who's waiting in the wings, you know, Kamala Harris could be even worse. And, and to, to me, it's so outrageous, it's so absurd to say something like that because they ignore the fact that, you know, impeachment means you lose the vote in the House, then you have to have a, a trial in the Senate and you got to get two thirds you know, to vote to convict, which has never happened. You, you know, you'd have to get a whole bunch of Democrats to vote to convict, also. So why do they even bring this up about? Oh, I don't know if we want to impeach because then you got Kamala Harris. I mean, the point of impeachment is if if, if this guy's done impeachment is a criminal criminal acts, yeah, uh, a dereliction of duty against the Constitution. Right, He's guilty of that. We right. prove that. It doesn't matter whether or not the Senate goes along. Obviously, you know, we're not going to get the numbers probably in the Senate, but we have to expose 
particularly his dealings and his son's dealings with foreign governments, China in particular. Right. We have to. Right. Impeachment is the art of doing the right thing and let the chips fall where they Correct. may and, and, and getting, the, uh, getting the word out there. Um, what, I, what I say generally, and maybe a final note, is the Republicans need to go on offensive. Yeah. We need a secretary of offense. Yeah. Yeah, we need more people with fire in their belly like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, who keeps on uh, bringing up articles of impeachment because it's the right thing to do. Um, wow, wow. I, I tell you what, I don't know where the time goes. Uh, Dr. Ted Malik, uh, his latest book, which I urge you to get a hold of, is called The Plot to Destroy Trump, How the Deep State Fabricated the Russian Dossier to Subvert the president, it got rave reviews from people as different as uh, Daily Caller, Raheem Kassam, Alex Jones, uh, everybody saying this is the book. This is the one to get if you want to know what actually happened. Uh, Dr. Malik, we, we appreciate you coming on the program uh, today so much. And as we say here in the South, y'all come see us. Be well. God bless, Doc. All right. God bless you too, sir. Thank you so much. Wow. Wow. I got to tell you. Um, I was telling Dr. Malik before the show started, I'm always in a situation where going into an interview, I'm hoping against hope that I have enough questions prepared. And then the next thing, you know, Whoa, where'd the time go? So, uh, a remarkable gentleman and we're uh, blessed blessed to have had him on the program today. Um, but what makes it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn Show week in and week out as we approach our first anniversary coming up in, in early October? Our friends, our advertisers make it possible for us to do this program, and we can't thank them enough. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else, Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend, Jonathan Presswood, today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? 
No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you so much again to our advertisers, our friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. Not only our advertisers, our friends, but our doctors at TurnMyPowerOn.com. Also, thank you so much to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones Financial Advisors. Thank you so much to Mitch Ward, proprietor of RedRiverYourWay.com. It's these folks who make it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn Show week in and week out as we approach our one-year anniversary in early October. Look, I, I want to share with you the great Julie Kelly has a new article that dropped over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. It's called Cover-Up Artists for Undercover Operatives. She says, hot off falsely claiming Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was bludgeoned to death by insurrectionists on January 6, 2021. Democrat U.S. Representative Mondaire Jones of New York last week identified another fake victim of Trump supporters, Ray Epps. Ray Epps, you remember him? The infamous red-headed man seen on video numerous times urging people to go into the Capitol remains free despite engaging in conduct far more disruptive than many who face charges for their behavior that day. Congressman Mondaire Jones, however, describes Ray Epps as a scapegoat and a boogeyman. Of his Republican colleagues, he commended Ray Epps for turning himself into the FBI, as did many protesters later charged with all kinds of crimes. And he claimed Ray Epps tried to calm the crowd down as the chaos unfolded. Congressman Mondaire Jones said during last week's House Judiciary Committee meeting to debate a bill demanding that the DOJ turn over all records related to Epps, quote, there's nothing unusual about a guy who didn't actually go into the Capitol on January 6th and who did not actually incite violence not being indicted. Oh, but there's more. He said Mr. Epps and his wife have had their lives threatened 
and they've had to go into hiding because of this latest conspiracy theory by MAGA Republicans to distract from the existential threat that Donald Trump and the Republican Party pose to our democracy. Now, Mondaire Jones was the latest member of Congress to come to Ray Epps' rescue, an inexplicable defense of someone who took part in what the Biden regime considers to be an act of terror comparable to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, that left nearly 3,000 people dead. Despite promises by the January 6th Select Committee that Ray Epps' sworn interview would be released to the public, his testimony remains under wraps nearly nine months later. Democrat U.S. Representative Jamie Raskett of Maryland, a member of the January 6th Committee, called unanswered questions about Ray Epps a conspiracy theory and begged Republicans to leave Epps alone. During the same House Judiciary Committee meeting, Raskin yelled, he's just trying to survive and he's on your side. Claiming without evidence that Republicans don't have many voters left, Raskin suggested Republicans should stop vilifying Ray Epps, an alleged Trump supporter. So everyone else is an insurrectionist and terrorist, but Ray Epps is just some kind of schmuck? Weird. In fact, Ray Epps is one of many instigators caught on film who somehow still managed to evade brutal FBI raids and bogus charges just as the Justice Department closes in on 1,000 total January 6th defendants with new arrests announced each week. And prosecutors are attempting to conceal information about other individuals tied to the events of that day FBI informants embedded in the Oath Keepers, the so-called militia group, accused of attempting to overthrow the government on January 6, 2021. In a last-minute motion filed by prosecutors last week, six days shy of the start of the Oath Keepers' first trial, the Justice Department asked D.C. District Court Judge Amit Mehta for a protective order to prevent defense attorneys from asking questions about the role of several confidential human sources, i.e. informants, who were either involved in the investigation that led to prosecution of the defendants or who became confidential human sources subsequent to the initiation of the instant investigation. Now, this suggests the FBI ran informants into the Oath Keepers group prior to January 6th. Prosecutors say the defense attorneys representing five Oath Keepers charged with seditious conspiracy and other offenses should be prohibited from asking any FBI informant for personal identifying information or about their participation in past or pending investigations. Cross-examination of any FBI informant called as a government witness should exclude seeking details about his cooperation with other undercover operations managed by the Bureau. That's what the prosecutors are arguing. This is the first time the Justice Department has acknowledged the use of FBI informants in the Oath Keepers investigation, which now tracks a similar pattern uncovered in the FBI-hatched plot to kidnap and assassinate Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer a few months earlier. Dozens of FBI supervising agents, informants, and undercover agents operating out of multiple FBI field offices, engineered the hoax in an attempt to demonstrate the non-existent danger posed by so-called militia groups loyal to Donald Trump. The ruse even involved the storming of the Michigan Capitol building in April 2020. Six men were arrested in October 2020 for conspiring to kidnap Governor Whitmer, but court filings later detailed an elaborate FBI entrapment scheme. A Grand Rapids jury in April acquitted two men after defense counsel successfully argued their clients were set up by the FBI even though the judge withheld from jurors a trove of evidence related to the FBI assets animating involvement. The jury could not reach a verdict on two other defendants. Two men had pleaded guilty and cooperated with the government. In August, a separate jury 
found the remaining two defendants guilty in a retrial thanks to an activist judge heavily tipping the scales in favor of the government. The outcome, however, does not change the machinations behind the Whitmer fednapping scheme. The Oath Keepers case could unravel in much the same way. Are prosecutors attempting to conceal an informant's work in the Whitmer scandal by seeking to stop defense attorneys from asking about past investigations? Why all the subterfuge? But background information about FBI informants isn't the only unknown in the Oath Keepers case. Julie Kelly says, as I reported last week, the creator of an encrypted group chat, another tactic deployed by FBI assets in the Whitmer fednapping to create incriminating evidence, remains unidentified. Although the anonymous chat leader repeatedly encouraged participants to engage in violent conduct on January the 6th, including killing police and lawmakers in self-defense if necessary. He does not face charges, but clips of the conversation will be introduced as government evidence. Defense attorneys previously informed the court that at least 20 FBI and ATF assets were embedded around the Capitol on January 6th without explanation. Discovery evidence also showed the Oath Keepers were being monitored and recorded prior to January 6th. That's what defense lawyers wrote in an April 2022 motion. And as more whistleblowers emerge from the Bureau, at least one recently disclosed that counterterrorism probes targeting so-called white supremacists or domestic violent extremists are almost always entrapment operations run by the feds, which could be one reason why congressional Democrats are so touchy about Ray Epps and why they, along with the Justice Department, refuse to disclose what they know about him. Is it because there really is an innocent explanation as to why Ray Epps is uncharged? Or is it that they know he's just the tip of the iceberg? And why won't top FBI officials say whether any FBI assets provoked or engaged in violent conduct on January 6th? Why has the January 6th Select Committee failed to publicly scrutinize what the FBI did before or on January 6th? In fact, it's unclear whether congressional investigators have even interviewed FBI Director Christopher Wray. Prosecutors and House Democrats portray themselves as purveyors of the facts when in reality they act as cover-up artists for the undercover operatives. Let's hope the Oath Keepers trial, as it did in the trial of the Whitmer fednapping victims, gets the public closer to the actual truth about January 6th. That is the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Article entitled, Cover-Up Artists for Undercover Operatives. My, 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 what a wicked web we weave when first we practice to deceive, right? All right, it's time to say it. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. All right, the great Tom Elliott, independent journalist Tom Elliott, with a whole lot of followers on Twitter, has a tweet out. This is today's tweet of the day. Senator Amy Klobuchar suggests that voting for Democrats may actually stop Hurricanes, And here she is on with a morning joke, Joke Scarborough on MSNBC. Amy Klobuchar on today's Tweet of the Day. 
And two, you've got leaders in Congress uh, like um, uh, Senator Schumer and uh, Speaker Pelosi, as well as their Republicans that want to work with them, where we have been able to step by step by step push these bills through. And so um, I think so many times people counted us out, but we want to make clear we've got the backs of the American people. And while we have clear disagreements, we don't want, if the Republicans take charge, a number of them have been talking about an abortion ban. You guys know that. You featured on the yeah. show. That's why we've got to win this midterm. We just did something about climate change for the first time in decades. That's why we've got to win this as that hurricane bears down on Florida. we got to win in the midterms. We understand that. But none of that has stopped us from deciding we're going to put our differences aside and get some things done. That is what that vote is today in the Rules Committee um, where you're going to see a strong bipartisan support, a very good hearing for changes to the Electoral Count Act. Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar, thank you for being on this morning. Great to see you. Can you believe this garbage? Well, they better go ahead and hold the vote because uh, the uh, Hurricane Ian is about to hit Tampa, and maybe they just kind of vote for us to go a little bit more in debt. They can uh, stop the hurricane, you know, maybe downgrade it. From a cat three to a cat one, right? Can you believe this? Look, I, I, I just came across a tweet from the great Bonchi over at Red State. This dropped less than 10 minutes ago. He says, understand that the moment the U.S. goes to refill the strategic petroleum reserve, oil prices are going to shoot up and you will end up screwed coming and going. Now, I apologize for the language. But um, I know that Donald Trump wanted to put more oil in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when oil was $24 a barrel, and the Democrats in Congress stopped them. Now it's $80 a barrel. And Biden's handlers, they will. They will refill it after the election. And you will see gas prices the likes of which you've never seen before in the United States. Just so you know. Again, thank you so much again to uh, Mitch Ward, RedRiverYourWay.com for sponsoring today's Tweet of the Day featuring the hapless, helpless, hopeless Amy Klobuchar implicating or implying that uh, the Democrat votes for something called climate change lessen the severity of hurricanes. You just, you just can't make it up, can you? All right, you've been listening to episode 247 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Man, that's the way it is. Tuesday, September 27th, 2022.